listening to Let the Bible Speak. Let the Bible Speak is the radio ministry of the Free Presbyterian Church. Stephen Pollock is the pastor of Free Presbyterian Church of Malvern, Pennsylvania. The church is located at the junction of 401 and Mallon Road. Thank you for joining us today as Dr. Pollock opens the Word of God and lets the Bible speak. We're going to read tonight from the Psalm 86, picking up the reading at the verse number 11 and reading down through to the end of the Psalm. Teach me thy way, O Lord, and I will walk in thy truth. Unite my heart to fear thy name. I will praise thee, O Lord my God, with all my heart, and I will glorify thy name forevermore. For great is thy mercy toward me, and thou hast delivered my soul from the lowest hell. O God, the proud are risen against me. The assemblies of violent men have sought after my soul, and have not set thee before them. But thou, O Lord, art a God full of compassion and gracious, long-suffering and plenteous in mercy and truth. O turn unto me and have mercy upon me. Give thy strength unto thy servant and save the son of thine handmaid. Show me a token for good that they which hate me may see it and be ashamed because thy Lord hast hope in me and comforted me. Amen. May God indeed bless and encourage our hearts in the word uh, tonight. It ought to go without saying that prayer is not God-centered or God-honoring when we see it as a method of bartering with the Lord. Tragically, there are many who have such a view of God and such a view of prayer. If you bless me or help me, I'll do this or I'll do that. Save me now and I'll never smoke again or drink again. These are the sort of things that perhaps the ungodly at the very height of their depravity will find themselves calling out to God and they'll make some trade with God. We should not read verses 11 and 12 in that regard. You see, there is promises made here, I will walk in thy truth, I will praise thee, O Lord, my God, with all my heart, and I will glorify thy name forevermore. That's in the context, of course, of him crying out to God for help. He's in extremes, he needs the Lord. Verse number three, be merciful unto me, O Lord, for I cry unto thee daily. This has not been a short-lived experience of trouble. It has not been quickly addressed. There's been the continual need for him to cry unto God. And so, in light of that need, he does give assurance as I will walk in thy truth. But he's not bartering with God. The promises of verse 11 and 12 are expressions of gratitude, responses to God's mercy, not some foolish bribe. These verses express the desires of the child of God who has known the mercy of God. He's opening up his heart. He's known God's mercy. And he's saying, this is my response. Oh, it is so necessary to cry to God in the midst of life's troubles. In such a time, we must turn to the Lord. It's not wrong to turn to God in such a time. The proud enemies of the psalmist are seeking to bring down his soul. He's in great trouble and he calls upon the Lord. It might help you to note the symmetry of this psalm. 
You know what the, the, the similarities between verse 5 and verse number 15? Verse 5, For thou, Lord, art good, and ready to forgive, and plenteous in mercy unto all them that call upon thee. And then verse 15, But thou, O Lord, art a God full of compassion, and gracious, long-suffering, and plenteous in mercy and truth. And there's certain similarities in those two verses. Now verse 5 follows after the prayers of verses 1 through to 4. If you like, they are the ending of that section of the prayers. But rather in verse 15, uh, that's, that confession of God is then followed by prayer. And so there's a symmetry here. And in the midst of it all, God is answering his prayers. And the psalmist is exercising faith. And he's going to uh, tell us about his response. So note that symmetry. He is a good and he is a gracious God. But what I want us to think about tonight particularly is the future determination of one who's enjoyed that goodness. So that the psalm, it does reverberate with the goodness and faithfulness of God. He is a God who is plenteous in mercy and truth in the sense there's faithfulness. But what is our response to God's character? Our knowledge of God's character drives us to prayer. But as God reveals his character and answer to our prayers, what is our subsequent response? What do we do as those who've enjoyed God's help in trouble? Well, verse 11, we have the, the words that we're going to consider. Teach me thy way, O Lord, I will walk in thy truth. Unite my heart to fear thy name. Verse 13, for great is thy mercy towards me. So verse 11, 12, they show us the response of those who have known God's mercy. From those who have been delivered from the lowest hell. I think what the psalm is referring to there is God's deliverance of his life. He's not been cast into the grave. His life has been spared. But how much more ought we to characterize these verses as those who have been delivered from eternal death? Of course, that was true for the psalmist as well. But it's true for us in light of the cross, in light of the work of the Spirit of God, we have our souls have been delivered from the lowest hell. Christ has saved our souls. His name, Jesus, saved us from our sins, and we've been saved, delivered from the lowest hell. Therefore, teach me thy way, O Lord, in light of those who have received such mercy. This is how we ought to respond. So let's look at these two verses together tonight. First of all, please... Note the sense or the desire for direction. Direction, that's the first word I want you to think about tonight. Direction. Teach me. Teach me. He wants direction. Teach me thy way, O Lord. He desires this in light of his knowledge of God's. He's demonstrated, verse number 5 and 15, he's demonstrated his knowledge of the goodness, the compassion, the grace, the mercy of God. And in light of that, he wants to know God's way. Teach, of course, does refer to the imparting of information. I want to know information regarding the way. But the word, in some other forms, has a sense of to shoot, or referring to direction. Uh, Hebrew verbs can go in different ways depending on the form, but there is in that, in that root sense a sense of direction. He's, he's praying for direction from the Lord. In other words, point me in the way of truth. Shoot me in the way of truth. Divert my life in this way. He's really he's asking for God's grace going forward. 
that he'd be pointed in the right direction and being able to walk in that way. Dependence upon God, direction from the Lord. When we come to know the grace of God, we also understand the goodness of his ways. It's part of what it is to be a Christian. You come, we saw this on Sunday morning, you, you come by faith to, to recognize the goodness of God in Christ. But at the same time, you also recognize the goodness of the ways of God, the will of God, the law of God. You've come to accept that God's ways are the best ways. And therefore you pray this prayer. I don't want to go in the way of the world. I don't want to go in my own way. I want to go in your way because your way is the best way. It's the good way. It's the most beneficial way. It's the way that brings most glory to your name. So direct me in the right way. Direct me in the Lord's way. He prays this because he knows God. He also prays this because he's come to know grace. He's come to know the mercies of God. Out of gratitude, having been saved by a God, a mighty master, for thou art great, verse 10, and doest wondrous things. Thou art God alone. Teach me thy way, O Lord. Those who have been saved like Paul, they ask that question, what wilt thou have me to do? How are we going to know what God would have us to do? We pray the prayer, teach me, direct me, show me your ways. If you like, it's a recognition that those who have been saved out of sin want to stay out of sin. You know, these verses, verse 11 and 12, for, to my mind, really are a, a primer in the Christian life. They are, they are two verses that would be very helpful to give somebody who's just been converted. Just being saved, just knowing God's mercy. They say, well, well, what do we do? Well, here's two prayers. Here's two verses to take and to pray over. And right at the very beginning, there is this desire. You've been saved out of sin. You need God's grace and direction to keep you out of sin. And so go before God and pray that particular prayer. And so his desire, the direction he desires is this knowing, hearing, and understanding the word of God. We see that concept, of course, over the New Testament also. Turn to, turn to 3 John. Over in 3 John, we see similar, similar words in the, in the New Testament portion of Scripture. And John, writing here, says, For I rejoice greatly when the brethren came and testified of the truth that is in thee, even as thou walkest in the truth. I have no greater joy than to hear that my children walk in truth. The truth, of course, here in light of first, second, and third, John, is the truth of the gospel. They are walking in Christ, walking in truth. But the use of the term to walk indicates again a walking in life. In other words, what happens here is the truth captivates our souls. And as our souls are captivated, so our lives are captive to Christ. Our entire lives become those that are determined to, to be directed in the ways of God, to follow the ways of God. Very simple, very basic, absolutely rudimentary in the Christian life, but is it not often the case that we're saved for a few years and we forget these things? Remember the uncertainty you felt when you were first converted? And you're going, well, what happened next? And then you begin to settle into the ways of things. You begin to know what it's like. Well, I do this, 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 and this. And you think you're still that person you were, you were saved maybe 10, 15 years ago and nothing's changed, but your life's changed. New challenges, new opportunities. We need to continually pray, Lord, direct me. Lord, teach me thy way. Teach me thy way today and tomorrow and the next day that whatever comes in my life, I will know how to think, how to speak, and how to act. 
I need that direction, O oh Lord. O oh Lord, teach me thy way, O oh Lord. You are not too long in the Christian life to not pray that prayer. It's a prayer, whether you're mature in the faith or just starting out, it's a prayer to pray. Teach me thy way, O oh Lord. That thought of direction then in the second place leads on to the thought of determination. Determination. Two words, I will. Those words, they speak of a determination. I will walk in thy truth. I will praise thee. I will glorify thy name. There is a sense of determination. You see, a proper response to God's grace is to get before God with this sense of determination to fulfill our vows to God. The Christian life begins with a cry to God for help, have mercy upon me, the sinner. But on receiving that mercy, there is the following determination to walk with the Lord. The problem with much modern evangelism and fight evangelism over the last 50 years is there's been much emphasis on decision, but not discipleship. The commission, of course, the Great Commission tells us to teach to make disciples of all nations. Disciples. Those who will be determined to follow the Lord. Those who will know a resolute determination to walk in Christ's paths. That's what it is to be a disciple, isn't it? The disciple who walks afar off isn't hearing the Master. The disciple walking afar off may lose track of the master's steps. There's this determination I'm going to follow. And we see that in this, in this psalm, don't we? Verse number 11, unite my heart. Verse 12, with all my heart. He's describing wholehearted resolution to follow the Lord. Wholehearted. The word for heart that's used there in these two verses, this is a common word for heart. Uh, but that word itself is part of the way in which Caleb's name is derived. Caleb is one who is wholehearted. And we see in Caleb's name his life's testimony. He is called Caleb, and he is Caleb. He shows in his life his name. He was the one, of course, who inherits Hebron. That's his inheritance because that he wholly followed the Lord God of Israel, Joshua 14, 14. Wholehearted for the whole of his life, he lived out his name, a resolute determination to follow God by faith. Here we're thinking of vows, to my mind, we're thinking of the determination to vow vows unto God. I will do these certain things in light of your mercy and light of your grace. I will, I'm determined to do these things. Listen to some of these psalms. The Psalm 22, verse 25. My praise shall be of thee in the great congregation. I will pay my vows before them that fear him. Psalm 50, verse 14. Offer unto God thanksgiving and pay thy vows unto the Most High. Psalm 116, verse 14 and 18. I will pay my vows unto the Lord now in the presence of all his people. Or you could turn back a few pages and look, at, just look for yourself at the Psalm 76. And the Psalm 76 in the verse number 11 says, Vow and pay unto the Lord your God. It always causes me great consternation when you see someone who is careless in their backsliding. One who has fallen away, if you like, fallen back against the things of the God. And what they've forgotten is that there was a time in their life where they made vows unto God. 
in their conversion, they say, I have decided to follow Jesus, no turning back, no turning back, and now there is a turning back. And I'm not even referring to those who, who perhaps have fallen back very, very dramatically. I'm thinking of, the, of even the, of the ordinary Christian who have grown cold of heart, have lost their determination to be in the things of God, to be in the Word of God, to attend the Word of God, to be in the place of prayer. Those things that they, they once were resolute in their hearts and now that resolution has faded. It's, it's gone into abeyance to some degree. There's, there's no longer this sense of, I will. There's more of this kind of, uh, I, I might. I might today, I might not today, I might tomorrow, I might not tomorrow. I'll see how the, the day comes. There's a lack of resolution to serve the Lord. But those who know God's mercy, like the psalmist, they say, I will. And may God enable us to know that in our souls. There is nothing in Christ that would cause us to give him up. Nothing in his teaching, nothing in his care, nothing in his rule. Everything is gracious and tender. I will, I will walk in thy truth. Determination. Thirdly then, there is a thought of demonstration. What does such determination look like? Here we're looking at some of the details. We've hinted at some of these things already, but now we can, we can look at the details with uh, a, closer, a closer look. What will this vow lived out look like? If you have this vow as those who've known the grace of God, well, it will look like those who walk with God. And those who worship the Lord. See those terms? I will walk in thy truth, and I will glorify thy name forevermore. And sorry, I missed the first one there in verse 5. I will praise thee, O Lord my God. I would suggest to you, at least tentatively, that when he refers to glorifying the name of God forevermore, he's actually looking back to both of the previous resolutions. I will walk in thy truth, and I will praise thee, O Lord my God. For we glorify God with our lives and with our lips. Whatever we do, eating or drinking, we do to the glory of God, to glorify His name, to extol His attributes and His character. But let's look at this matter. I'll walk in thy truth. Now, we've already noted this term, walking in the way of truth. Teach me thy way. And when you teach me your way, I won't rebel against it. When you're in the house of God and the Lord opens the word to your soul and you hear the word, the Lord is teaching you his way, directing you. But the demonstration of the vow to walk in God's way is, well, we don't rebel against that. We will walk in the paths that God has set before us. And the use of the metaphor to walk, both Old and New Testament, refers to a walk in the presence of God, in the paths of God, for the glory of God. A walk that goes forward with God. A daily walk. A consistent walk. Walking's not standing. It's going forward with God. Little by little, step by step, day by day. The recognition of a determination to keep on going with the Lord. That's what the Christian life looks like. People want excitement. They want some razzmatazz in their lives. God is greatly glorified by a simple, consistent walk with God. The Lord's people need to understand that. That simply day by day, walking with the Lord in devotion and communion with God is a tremendous testimony of the glory of God. 
In you, in your flesh, there is no good thing. But by God's grace, you are transformed, enabling you to put one foot in front of the other in the things of God. God is gracious, full of compassion, long-suffering, and plenteous in mercy and truth, whereby you can walk in his ways. Walking and worshipping, I will praise thee, O Lord my God. We do glorify God, I say, in our lives. We, we live out the character of God. People can see the character of God as we live like God, be holy as he is holy. And so, yes, we glorify God in our lives, but we also do glorify God verbally, audibly, as we praise his name. And you think of the Psalm 50 and the verse number 15. And the Lord says, And call upon me in the day of trouble, and I will deliver thee and thou shalt glorify me. In the previous verse, offer unto God thanksgiving and pay thy vows unto the Most High and call upon me in the day of trouble, I will deliver thee and thou shalt glorify me. You see the consistency of thoughts here? And then it says in verse 22, or sorry, 23, whoso offereth praise glorifieth me. And to him that ordereth his conversation, right, will I show the salvation of God. So here's the, the offering of praise that brings glory to God. Oh, the saved, those who have known God's mercy, they know God, they know the love of God. And that, that forms their worship. The content of their worship is all about God. And the character of their worship is full of praise and joy and thanksgiving. Do you live that out? Those who've known God's grace, isn't your desire and your delight to extol the virtues of God? Or do you want your praise times in the house of God to be all about yourself? Or is it to exalt the glory of God and to give thanks to God for his goodness? So these vows are demonstrated with a walk with God and the worshipping of the name of God. And then finally, please note finally the matter of devotion here, devotion. The thought of devotion here is in the third part of verse number 11. Unite my heart to fear thy name. Unite my heart to fear thy name. This is the essence, if you like, of the Christian's devotion. This is the prayer that will mark the Christian the entirety of their days. Having been saved by grace, their desire will be that their heart is united to fear the name of God. What does it mean? Well, think about the essence of devotion. A united heart. This word unite has okay, very simple ideas, bringing things together, joining. And you might immediately think, well, is it referring to our hearts being united to the Lord? Yes, there's an element of truth in that, of course. It's the, again, very much a part of the Christian life. But I think what's involved here is the heart itself as something that is united. Listen to Hosea 10, verse 2 in the rebuke of God. Their heart is divided. Now shall they be found faulty. He shall break down their altars. He shall spoil their images. Their heart is divided as they seek to serve God and whatever other God they choose. Their heart's not united. It's now divided. No man can serve two masters. A united heart is a heart that is wholeheartedly devoted to the Lord. It's part of the promise of the covenant. 
Jeremiah chapter 32 and the verse number 38. And I will give them one heart. A united heart. A heart that is single in its devotion to the Lord. The essence of devotion, a united heart. The end of that devotion is the fear of God. Just listen to the rest of that promise in Jeremiah 32. And I will give them one heart and one way that they may fear me forever for the good of them and of their children after them. And I will make an everlasting covenant with them. And I will put my fear in their hearts that they shall not depart from me. Oh, the fear of God. Oh, we fear men so easily. We ignore God so easily. Our heart wanders away. But in the essence of our devotion, there is a desire. I want to walk in the fear of God. Unite my heart. Drive out every idol that my heart is wholeheartedly devoted to Christ. I say what I said earlier. You are not too long in the faith to not pray this prayer. Prone to wonder. Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. There's that necessity of continually coming before God. Lord, deliver me from every false way, from every false God, from every false idol. By mercy and truth, iniquity is purged. And by the fear of the Lord, men depart from evil. And you have also the fact that out of fear, we practice purity. But also in the fear of God, we practice prayer. Malachi 3, 6 them that feared the Lord and that thought upon his name. The fear of God is living under the eye of God and being aware of God's eye on our lives. Not an eye of threatening, but an eye of care. He loves us. He looks upon us in love. Therefore, we do not want to offend. Therefore, we gladly come before him in prayer. That's what it is to walk in God's fear. Being aware of the eye of God being upon us. This section of the psalm, these two verses, I do believe, are a tremendous summary of what it is to simply be a Christian. Those who receive God's mercy. It challenges much of the modern thinking of the subject. But as for me, I'll take God's way, not man's way. I'll take the way that loves the Lord, that fears the Lord, that desires to walk in obedience to the Lord. If someone tries to sell you some other false way, say to them, no, I'm going to buy the truth and sell it not. Thank you for taking the time to listen to this episode of Let the Bible Speak from Malvern Free Presbyterian Church. If you'd like more information about the gospel or the church, please call 610-993-3170 or email malvernfpc at yahoo.com. We extend an invitation to all to join us as we worship the Lord each week. You will be made very welcome. The church is situated at 80 Mallon Road, Malvern, Pennsylvania, at the junction of 401 and Mallon Road. We meet for worship on the Lord's Day at 11 a.m. and 6 p.m. A Bible study and prayer meeting is also held on Wednesday evening at 7 p.m. We preach Christ crucified.